0: We'll start by singing, The Lord is in His Holy Temple, number 532, The Lord is in His Holy Temple. We'll sing this through twice. The Lord is in His Holy Temple.
1: Good morning. Well, Juan is with us today. It's good to see you. It's been a while since she's been here. She used to worship with us, and she moved away, and now she's back again this morning. She so was good. I had to say that because <laughs> I didn't know you were here. But anyway, it's a delight to have each one of you here with us today. If you're visiting, it's a blessing to us that you're here and we hope that you'll come back at every opportunity that you have. Um, If you would hang around just a little bit, we'd like to meet you and greet you and let you know how thrilled we are that you're here with us today. And for those of you who are regular members, we're so thankful for you. What a blessing each one of you are to each other and to me and my family. And so we're glad that you're here. Um, Got a few announcements before. Begin our, our worship. Um, got your bulletin. The bulletin is full, full this week. Uh, remember our potluck this morning after services. Uh, we'd like to have each one of you stay. If you didn't have any, bring any food or anything, usually have plenty to go around, so if you'll just uh, stay and uh, join us. The fellowship and the food, we'd be delighted to have you to do that. Also, uh, we've had a thousand Bibles this past year that were distributed uh, to people that, that wanted them. We put those out. Uh, Bonnie uh, Graham does a lot of that, puts those in different places on display for people to pick up. And so we've got a thousand of those this year, so that's a good deal. Um, The more people we get Bibles in in their hands, the better off uh, they'll be and the better off the world will be. Uh, Mackenzie uh, Clearman is working on a church calendar with all the events throughout the year. If you know of any uh, dates that need to be added to the calendar, please, Mackenzie, let her know. Also, she's going to have a a calendar. If anyone wants to use the fellowship hall uh, for family or personal use or whatever, uh, if you would k- call her and let her know what dates you might want to be using that, then she'll mark that down and reserve that for you. We don't want two, two families or two people wanting to use it at the same time. So uh, check with Mackenzie on that if you uh, want to reserve the uh, fellowship hall for any reason. Uh, got a couple of baby showers coming up. You might look at that in the bulletin. Um, one uh, for Adam and Rebecca Maud, February the 18th, and also Amber Fike. Uh, she's having a baby shower for her daughter-in-law and uh, soon-to-be grand grandson. We're going to be... Uh, Presenting the budget next next um, Sunday uh, for 2024, and uh, just to let you know about that. That's going to be done next next uh, Sunday. Uh, the men's group meeting is uh, January the 9th at 6 o'clock. The ladies' Bible study is going to begin again January the 12th. It'll be at 10 o'clock, and. Uh, the men's breakfast will start again on January 27th. I've got a, a big list of people that are, are sick or have been in the hospital or had surgeries. Jim Busby has had surgery and he's uh, recovering at home. Uh, we're glad that uh, he has gotten that over with. Brenda Kemp had cataract surgery and it went well. Brenda told me a minute ago that she's got 20-20 vision in that, in that eye so she can see again, that's wonderful. That's, I think she got another one coming up January the 31st. But we're glad that that's over with and that you can see well. Uh, Nancy Desmain is not with us this morning. She's still having problems, and uh, she's going to uh, the doctor on January the 8th to try to figure out what's going on with her. Mary Faith had uh, surgery Friday. Uh, she is home. I think she's doing better. Doing better. That's good. That's what we were hoping for, that she's doing better. and So we're glad that that surgery is over with for her and that she's doing much better. David Mays, uh, he's back in the hospital. Uh, We took him back to the VA emergency room last night. Uh, He's still having a lot of problems. He's got that kidney stone, and he's also got an infection. And uh, he called me yesterday at, well, yesterday afternoon about 5 o'clock, and I uh, wonder if I could take him to the hospital. Uh, he said he felt miserable. And uh, they finally admitted him last night, about midnight. It took that long to get him admitted. Uh, Doug Warner has um, been having a lot of problems with his back and other, and other issues, and so let's keep Doug in our prayers. Uh, Joyce McWilliams, we need to c- keep on remembering her in our prayers that she fell and broke her right arm. And she's in quite a bit of pain. Eugenia Hockett, uh, she's had severe back pain and not been able to be with us for two or three weeks, so let's keep Eugenia in her prayers. And Carolyn Hawkins, is uh, once again, has a brain tumor. And Janelle is, uh she has RSV. Mary Wolfe uh, has COVID, has had it. She's over it now, I talked to her the other day, and she's doing much better. And Opal Kreider, that's Rick uh, Weaver's mother-in-law, She was moving out of ICU to a regular room. And so also Betty uh, Soufri uh, would like for us to pray for her uh, daughter and her her grandchildren. And uh, Kelly Woods has a grandson that's been sick. I talked to her the other day and he's doing better. Don Sandlin, many of you know Don. Uh, He was taken to the emergency room uh, last Sunday with stroke-like symptoms, found out it was a really bad UTI. And he's doing a lot better. Also, uh, Josh told me just just a moment ago that Ann Floyd's mother, uh, she is uh, in the hospital at Searcy and not doing very well. So let's keep Ann's mother in our prayers. And Charlotte Smith has been; she's had surgery, not been with us for I don't know five or six weeks, but she's here today. And it's good to see her, good to see her with us today, and, and Ron, her husband. That's a lot of announcements, but anyway, got through that. Does anybody else have anything that maybe I've missed or needs to be announced? If not, let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, we enter your presence with reverence and awe. Acknowledging that we are utterly and completely unworthy except through Jesus and his blood. What a blessing it is to come before you, your throne of grace, and to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need and to worship you. And Father, we've mentioned a lot of people this morning, our brothers and sisters that are ill or hurting. We pray, Father, that you would draw near to them. And that you would bless them and give them the assistance, Father, that they need at this time. Thank you for loving us and for enabling us to be here today. What a blessing it is to come and sit before you, Father, and to hear your word and to be able to communicate with you. What a blessing it is to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ that we can encourage and support one another, spur one another on to love and good works. So we thank you so much for blessing us and for forgiving us of our sins and for giving us the hope that we have of eternal life, that expectation that, be, that we can be with you one day. And that's what we're striving for, and that's what we keep our eyes on, Father. And in the end, we pray that we'll be with you forever in heaven. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
0: Number 406. So oh, worship the King. <clears throat> 406. Oh worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Thy bountiful care, what tongue can recite, it breathes in the air, it shines in the streams from the hills it descends to the plain and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. Frail children, How tender, how firm to the end Our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend Number 186 Holy, holy, holy We're going to sing all four verses of this song And then after we sing this song, do you lead us in prayer And then we'll have our lesson like to, let's go ahead and stand for this song and then remain standing for the prayer after. Holy, holy, holy. <clears throat> holy, 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 uh,
2: By with me, please. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we praise your holy name and thank you for all the blessings of life that you give us. Your word teaches us that all good things come from you, and Father, we believe it and know that it's true. We ask that you please be with all those that were mentioned in the announcements, those that are sick and that are going through surgeries and other trials in life. We ask that you will be with them and and help them, and if it be thy will, you will heal them. We ask that you please be with us today, Father, help us to learn from your word together and to be an encouragement to each other, and ask that you please forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.
3: If you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Isaiah this morning. I'm going to begin in chapter 1 briefly, I'm going to jump to chapter 5 briefly, and then we're going to camp out in chapter 6, but I wanted us to get the context, so definitely grab a Bible and get it open so that we can all see what is taking place here this morning. It's good to see everyone that's here this morning, and this is the... The first Sunday in two or three weeks that I feel just really great <laughs> after being sick. I know many of us have been sick these past few weeks. But this topic, this book, and, and where we're at this morning gets me excited as well because it's a very unique spot in Scripture. Have you ever thought, you know, I just, I just really want to see God? I want to see what He looks like. I, I, I want to see what might be going on. I mean, who of us haven't? But Isaiah here, he gets the chance to see that. He gets to see God in a way and through a picture, through symbolic uh, uh, revelation. And by writing it, he's giving you and I the invitation to experience the same thing as well. But before we get there, let's get the setting of what's taking place. We've we've been reading through the Bible in a year. And this is where we're at for the next couple weeks. So for about four weeks... I'll be preaching out of Isaiah. I, that's clearly not enough time to cover the book, but I'll try to pick uh, some of the high points while giving us the full context of what's going on as we're reading it. But the context of what's taking place here is the people are in a not good place spiritually. There's two kingdoms now. First Kings 12, we divided the kingdom between Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and the northern kingdom... Never had a good king. Always did bad things. The southern kingdom, a little bit better, but eventually they go into captivity as well. Look in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared up and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Who are the children that God has brought up? Well, it's, it's the Israelites. It's God's people, right? He established them with the promise through Abraham. Then Isaac and Jacob, they went into Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt into the promised land, gave them the promised land, established them as his people. He's worked in all these ways, but they have rebelled me, he says. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know My people do not understand. They don't know me anymore. They know my name maybe, but they don't really know me. When you're so deep in sin, you do not have the capacity to know God. You do not have the ability to grow in God. Where there is death, which is what sin is, there is no place for life. Look in chapter 5, first few verses. Chapter 5, God likens himself here, talks about how he is the best vineyard worker, working for his people, his people being the vineyard, being the grapes. He says in verse 2, chapter 5, he dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. So he started off with good land. He started off with the good crops, right? He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes or sour grapes, bad grapes, however you'd like to put it. But verse 4 says, what more was there for me to do in my vineyard? He's saying, what more good could I have done for my people? It wasn't my fault It wasn't because of me that they have turned away. It wasn't because of anything that I've done. In fact, it's in spite of everything that I've done for my people, they have rebelled and turned away against me. They've turned sour by their own selves. And they've got six problems that God lists out in chapter 5. In chapter 5, you'll go on to read here later. But in verse 8 through 10, they're materialistic. And and listen to these problems and see if this sounds at all like us today. They're very materialistic. In verse 11 through 17, they're partying, they're drinking, they're eat, drink, and be merry lifestyles. In verse 18 through 19, they are so sinful that they're pulling sin by a cart, that it says. And they're taunting God, they're testing God because of this. Verse 20, they've got upside-down values. Verse 21, they're conceited. They have excessive pride. But read with me verse 22 through 23 because they've got corrupt and drunk judges. When you can buy off and bribe judges, you literally get the best justice that money can buy, can't you? And that's what's taking place here. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. There is no justice taking place. There is no honor amongst these people. Nobody in the, in the courts is doing right as they should, doing their job right to bring justice. And who is Isaiah in the midst of all this? You know, Isaiah's mi- name, it means Jehovah saves, or God is salvation. That's what his name means. And what a good Person to be sent to preach that, right? With a name like that. He's preaching and prophesying at the same time as a few other prophets as well. Amos, we know Amos, Hosea and Micah. And Amos especially is a, is a prophet who talks a lot about injustice and the God of justice. And they're prophesying at the same time, different places. But Isaiah... He was a former historian. In fact, 2 Chronicles 26 will tell you that he wrote Judah's history. He was a city prophet. Amos was more country guy that was sent to the city. So he wasn't quite like Amos, the rugged individual, but he was more the city guy. He was a court prophet. He was familiar with the ongoings and with the judges and the people involved. And this is the same person that will be sent to preach to them. We read in chapter 6, verse 1, that a big shakeup is about to happen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And we love to get to see God right there, right? We want to rush and get to that. And we want to see what God looks like, but don't gloss over the big statement that the King Uzziah had died. You know, tradition and, and history would tell us that perhaps Uzziah here is the cousin of Isaiah. What happens when to a nation and in the world when some big leader dies or some transition of power takes place, even if it's, if it's somewhere smaller where transition a new boss comes in or the old one dies, dies off or something like that. Think about even just this year. I, I want you to get ready for this year. This is the first Sunday of the year, okay? But get ready for this year because this year there's going to be a lot of shaking up. It's an election year, is it not? And regardless of how we look at what candidate or whatever and whatever is taking place, there's going to be things that happen. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be worry. So you can prepare yourself to have the right mindset now. And we know what happened last time. There was a lot of turmoil for a lot of people, and there's a lot of things taking place. Change in times of transition can be rough, especially when someone dies that we look up to. When people in the world die uh, that, that are prominent individuals, people start to wonder, what's going to happen now, Right? When you get a new leader of some kind, what is going to take place? What changes are going to happen? You know, Jesus' disciples felt the same way when he died, right? What are we going to do now? What happens now in those three days when they didn't know what to do? They went back to the only thing they knew to do. They went back to fishing. Nothing touches the core of us more hardly than losing someone that we love or that we looked up to. When a death takes place, and you think back, the time when when a death perhaps rocked you so hard, struck you so hard that it rocked your world to its core, and you just didn't know what to do, you know the feeling. And so don't separate the phrase that, that's such a, a passerby phrase right here, if we're not careful, from the real life experience that Isaiah has, wondering what is going to happen now, because... This king Uzziah, he's a good king. The problem in, in Judah was there was good kings and there's bad kings. Israel, you always knew it's going to be a bad king. But in Judah, we're not really sure. What's, is he going to bring religious reforms? Is he going to do uh, awful things and bring idols and, 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 and sacrifice uh, people and kids? Yeah, that was what some of them actually did. Or is he going to be a good king and worrying about what's taking place? I don't believe it's coincidence that God at this time shows up to Isaiah and gives him this message at this time when they're wondering what is going to happen now. Because what he says is, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I don't, I don't know how many uh, brides these days. I know some, but it's not always quite as common. But when you get married and, and the bride walks down the aisle, she's got a big train, right? And sometimes the the ring bearer and the flower girl or a few others involved would, would carry the train because it's so long, right? And it's, it's your day. It's your shining day in your white dress, right? And everyone's looking at you. But any of that in the grandest appearance is nothing compared to this robe that just filled this huge temple, filled the huge place where they're at. But the big picture to see is that God is the one on the throne. You know, sometimes we look up too much to people. Sometimes we rely too much on people, put too much trust in them to fix things. Mentors, politicians, etc. But don't look to worldly leaders for godly solutions. Look to God for that, and look at God on the throne. He is telling Isaiah. He is telling you and I. I am on the throne. What's going to happen now? It doesn't matter. I'm on the throne. He was a good leader. He was a trusted person. But you need to know that it's me you need to trust, the real king. God called Isaiah away from from himself, from other people in this moment, to be alone and to see the truth about God. What do I learn? I learn that in times of, of unknown, uncertainty, heartbreak, and hardship, I've got to get away and be alone with God. And I've got to see God as he is, not as I want to see him, not as the picture that I want to paint for myself of who God is, but see God for who he really is. We get a couple pictures of God in the Bible, and this is one of the the three or four where we get to see something, some aspect of him, and God is wanting us to see here he is king, and he's also holy. Look in verse 2 and 3. This is why Eric led the song, and I appreciate that he did. Above him stood the seraphim. Now, seraphim and cherubim, you got two different types of angels. Cherubim are in Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 4 in that throne room scene. And they're on the the Ark of the Covenant. They have these wings. They've got the face of the beast. But these are seraphim, which means the burning ones. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to one another. You would think that these guys, wow, this is awesome. But they're nothing compared to who's on the throne, who they praise saying, verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holiness is at the core of who God is. It ripples out into all his characteristics, into all his actions. What God does is holy. We talk about God being a loving God. Yes, he is a loving God, but he is loving in a holy way. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart. That's what it means. Mainly set apart from sin, but set apart, a standard above, unique, not just different, but a step above. And so God is loving in a holy way. God is also just in a holy way. God is merciful, but he gives mercy in a holy way. God is wrathful, but he is wrathful in a holy way. Fill in the blank with what you know about God, with what it says in his word. He is that in a holy way. And I've got to learn to see God right. I've got to see God for who he is so that I can praise Him, right? That's what we're doing here this morning, right? We come together, we pray, we sing songs because we're praising Him, we're praising His name. To praise God, right, I've got to adore God for who He is and be thankful for what He's done, what He's going to do, what He's yet done. God wants you to see Him right so that you want Him. Why do we do what we do? Why, why do we gather together together? like this? Why do we live a different life than a lot of the world? Well, I don't want to go to hell, so that's why I go to church. I don't want to go to hell, so I read my Bible. I didn't want to go to hell, so I got baptized so I could become a Christian. And it's true, but if that's your core motivation, your core motivation is misplaced because God wants you to seek Him because you want Him, because you want to seek Him. Some of us when it comes to praising God, we have to realign ourselves to make sure we're in the right mindset to praise God. It's, it's funny. At one time, I used to be scared to sing out loud. because, And y'all might feel the same way, somebody here. Because what if somebody hears my voice? And at the end of the day, well, what if somebody hears my voice? Because the first motivation, all I'm supposed to care about is God hearing it. Is God and what he thinks about what I'm doing for him. Yeah, there is secondary motivations for encouraging one another, but first and foremost, I've got to get my priorities right to praise God for the sake of pleasing God. He goes on in verse 4 four and 5. He says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. I'm reminded of where we studied a couple weeks ago. In 1 Kings chapter 8, when it was opening day of the temple, Solomon's temple that was built, and opening day there, verse 10 and 11, he says, When the priest came out of the holy place, that's inside the temple, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord was filled in the house of the Lord. And what's being said here in chapter six of Isaiah, verse four the house was filled with smoke. I can't help but think of that instance when this is God's glory that's there. And when it was God's glory in the temple, it said that the priests could not stand to minister, meaning they couldn't do it. They had to get out of the way. God's glory was too great. It was too awesome. It was overshadowing them, yes. But they just could not do anything in comparison. They could not stand to be that close to it because he is so awesome. And the house is filled with smoke. And I said, what, what, what would we think we would be saying at this time. We'd think we'd be saying, amen. This is awesome, God. I'm so glad I finally, I get to see you in all your splendor and all your greatness. But he said, woe is me. So instead of saying amen, he said, oh me. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Isaiah will teach us in his book, The Realities of Sin. He's, he's already, for the first five chapters, think about how this, this is formatted. Isaiah does not go chronologically. Now, that's weird to us because we like to read things in event order, right? But Isaiah, his book is structured by thoughts, not time sequence. And so up to this point, he's been preaching five chapters talking the message that God gave him about sin and things taking place. And you might get the idea of them opposing him and saying, well, who are you to tell us this? And now here's chapter 6 where he says, this is when I was called. This is when God gave me the message. And he's showing that I was just as lost as well. I was just as much of a sinner. And over in Isaiah 59, he teaches us something so important about sin in verse 2. He says, your iniquities, meaning your sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah preaches it from personal experience. There is a problem, of course, with death in sin but a big problem with sin is also that I have made a separation between me and God. God didn't do that. God is already holy and set apart from sin. When I chose sin, I chose to be that sin. I chose to be just as awful and dirty and terrible as the sin. And he says, when we choose that, we have separated ourselves from God. It's the picture of the garden. Whenever In the Garden of Eden, God was walking and talking with Adam and Eve and was in fellowship there. They ate of the fruit. No longer was that relationship done. But God has ever since then been working to bring and restore that relationship back with him through Jesus. But I, by sinning, have separated myself from the holiness of God. I have rebelled against the king. And treason deserves death. That's what happens. And God would be both just and holy in giving me that. But instead, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, the altar where the sacrifices were done, the, the, clear, uh, the, the cleansing and the atonement sacrifices, God sending his servant to do this. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. What was the problem that he said? I have unclean lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for, covered over, done away with. That's what atoned means. In the moment when he sees God for who he really is, he really and seriously understood how dirty of a sinner that he is. He took his sin seriously. It was seriously wrong to him. And we start to think, well, at least he wasn't like the nation, right? He's still a good guy. He's still a good family guy and everything else. But no, he was just as wrong as the rest of the people, just as wrong as any sinner, but in his own way. What do we learn about sin then? That it's not up to our own perception of what is less wrong and what is okay, what is revolting, that kind of thing. All sin is wrong and all sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. To be in sin is to be lost and separated from God. It's not up to our perception of of if this is okay or not, or not as bad as something else. The king, though, he has pardoned the guilty. Sometimes you and I, we get too caught up in, in dealing with the ramifications, and the results of sin, right? Because when we sin, we have consequences. And we try to clean up the consequences of our own, right? We're trying to clean up the cobwebs. But wisdom says, unless I kill the spider at its source, the cobwebs are going to keep coming. John chapter 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that means I've got to confess the sins. I've got to name them. And if I'm not ready to name the sins, I'm not ready to quit them. And if I take my sins seriously, as Isaiah takes his sins seriously, I bring it to God to help me kill the source of it. That's where the forgiveness is found. And that's where I can have the deep joy and the deep appreciation and assurance and the understanding that I am pardoned. You got unclean lips, Isaiah? Let me fix it. You got unclean thoughts? You got unclean, whatever, God says, I will fix it if you bring it to me. Anyone else here feel like Isaiah, though, sometimes? Unqualified, unfit to be what God wants you to be. Make no mistake, every one of us, we got shortcomings. We all have the shortcomings that we are afraid that we have. But God cleans you up. He takes care of the spider. He takes care of the cobwebs. The only reason that we would be incapable of doing what God wants us to do and what he asks us to do is if I buy into that narrative that some other voice is telling me I can't, I shouldn't, I'm not good enough to do it. That goes against the call that God has called us. Isaiah being a man of the city in the courts with knowledge of specific people and ongoings, God is going to use him to preach to them and to the rest of them as well in specific ways. In the same way, God uses you for who you are, where you are at. He is not going to try to turn you into someone else or something else other than sinner to saint when you're saved, but he is going to use you profoundly where you're at if you'll let him. The profoundness is, is up to God, right? It's through his lens, the success. And I've got to be more than okay with that from my motivation. Instead of being destroyed by God's holiness here, Isaiah is transformed by it. And he does the same thing for you and I. I'm reminded of Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, where he says, You who once were alienated, meaning separated, hostile in mind, enemies he says doing evil deeds he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death meaning jesus has brought you back into relationship if you are in him by his sacrifice by his resurrection in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith god makes you holy as He is holy, as soon as you're saved and you keep on that same path. You either are righteous or you're not. You either are holy or you're not. You're either with God or you're separated from God in sin. Why then do I think, as a Christian, I've got to take a certain amount of time to be better before I can start doing more? Did God show up to Isaiah here and say, Isaiah, I really need you to take a year and a half off for personal growth and development, and then I'm going to call and say, who shall I send? And that's when you're going to say, send me, because I'm ready now. No. God called Isaiah right out of where he was at that moment and said, I need somebody that is willing to say, yes, Lord. And you and I can make that decision anytime we want to. And if I don't, it's because I don't want to say, yes, Lord. God is constantly looking for another. Verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. That's that mindset. That's the attitude of, of thought progression. I know I was this dirty, unclean sinner. I know that God cleaned me up, and I know now God needs somebody and can use me, send me. That's the thought process we ought to have. God is constantly looking for another willing servant in you to stand up, someone that's ready to do more when he calls you and I. Does God even call us? Yeah, he calls us. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 tells us that he calls us initially through the gospel. When we hear the word proclaimed, when we hear about Christ and his sacrifice, that's when we're called. The response is up to me. Am I going to, to respond to this so that he'll save me? And when I continue in the word, as Colossians 1.23, we just read, said that if we continue in the faith, that's the word, the faith, that's the continued call. Because I hear what God is wanting of me. I hear what God is expecting of me. If a, a celebrity you like, I don't know who, I'm just going to rattle off some things. If a celebrity you like, or, or a president that you like, or some big person in the world that you look up to and maybe it's just a family member of yours that you greatly admire calls you up, says Josh, I need you to do something for me, it's very important and we say no problem, I'm your guy why? because I look up to this guy I want to please them, right? why am I not doing that when God calls? well God doesn't call us, well 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says you're wrong and he goes on Here's the message, verse 9. He said, go and say to this people. Here's your message, Isaiah. And the task is not as pretty as it might, we might think it is. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Preach, Isaiah but I know they're not going to listen. They could if they wanted to. They'd be better off for it. They would be saved if they listened, but they're not going to. But you, Isaiah, give them the opportunity. Give them the opportunity to hear because that's where faith starts, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Give them the chance to respond. But they're not going to listen, God. You know, that changes my idea and definition of what it means to be successful for God. Again, in Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 11, this one's worth memorizing and underlining, I think. Isaiah fifty-five, eleven. he says, So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. My word being taught is a success. My word and my will is going to be successful for the purpose that I declare to be success, for the purpose that I want to accomplish, God says. I might be sent then to do God's will. I might be living for God and do, step into a situation where I'll be the one that grows more than anybody else. And his message time and time again, or or for, for them here, see and do not understand, keep on seeing, do not perceive. You've seen what God has done time and time again. Will you not trust him still? Will you not get back in relationship with him? That's the message to them. That's the message to us. Will you still not trust God after all that you've seen him do? After he... Is the best vineyard worker after he gives the best gifts after he does all the hard work, verse eleven and twelve. And he said, "How long, O Lord?" <laughs> well, God, how long you want me to do this? This seems like a hard task. How long you want me to go? He said, "Until the cities lie in waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land in desolate waste." You see, what's happening up to this point? Judgment's coming for Israel and Judah. God's raising up the Assyrians and the Babylonians to take them into captivity. They're going to stay in captivity for 70 years, then they're going to be sent home. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Preach until there's no one left to preach to. Until the captors come, he says. Verse 13, this is where we'll land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. There's going to be three times that the enemy comes and takes the people into captivity. First time, they're going to take the more prominent, the more wealthy, the more educated. The second time, they're going to take the next best. The third time, they're going to take the next best. Though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, he says, like a terebinth or an oak. But watch this. When God sends a prophet, he tells them basically almost always, repent, here's your problem. But he also gives them hope. Here's the hope. Whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. We're talking about a remnant. And the last verse we'll look at is Isaiah 11.1. Isaiah 11.1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. What does this mean? Well, Jesse, the father of David. Jesus who came from the Davidic line. Talking about Jesus here and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The seed promise will remain intact. From a remnant, God will bring a Savior. Isaiah might be thinking at the beginning of this, who am I to do this? I'm just one person. But it's not about what just one person can do or a small few, a remnant. It's about what God can do through them and with them. God uses the one and the few many times in Scripture to bring about the greatest changes time and time again. What do I learn from Isaiah here so far? I learned that I need to see God as he is. I need to hear God calling. And whether or not you are a Christian, and maybe you've been a Christian for a while, the response is the same. The question is the same. I hope that you would be able to say, I need to answer the call. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you're ready to answer the call to become a Christian. Maybe you have been a Christian, but you felt like there's sin in your life and you felt like you can't do anything about it. You've got to kill it at its source. You've got to confess the sins to God and continue to let God use you to answer the call daily. If you need to respond in any way this morning, let us know as we stand together and sing.
0: but lost, is thy heart right with God, is thy heart right with God, washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right in the sight of God, as thou dominion self and or sin is thy heart right with God over all evil without and within is thy heart right with God is thy heart right with God washed in the crimson flood cleansed and sight of God, are all thy powers under Jesus' control? Is thy heart right with God? Does each moment abide in thy soul? Is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God? What in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right in the sight of God, you may be seated. <clears throat> to help prepare our minds for Lord's Supper this morning, we'll sing number 405. Oh, thou fount of every blessing. We'll sing all three verses. 405. O thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore, may i still the Sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great! Daily.
1: I can't imagine how vain and empty this life would be without the sacrifice of our Lord and how hopeless it would be, uh, knowing that this was all that we had. But because of his life and his sacrifice, um, our life goes on through eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your plan of our redemption and for your son's willingness to sacrificed himself so that we might spend eternity with you pray that you will open our hearts to your love open our hearts to those around us and help us to live each day uh, worthy of that sacrifice it's in your son's name we pray amen
2: After the bread, Jesus took the cup, told the disciples to drink of it, for it was the blood shed for the many, blood of the New Testament shed for the many, for the remission of sin. Let's pray. Father, all we have, all we are, we owe to you the greatest sacrifice, the greatest gift of love shown by your son and our savior on that cruel cross. As we partake of this cup, Father, we, we pray that we can take our hearts and our minds back to that day when the one who loved us so much gave all he had that we may have eternal life and, and hope. Father, we're grateful for all, all we have all you've given us, and for the life and the love and the grace brought to us by the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior on that cross. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Dear Lord, let us take this time to give back to you as you so greatly given to us. Christ and I pray. Amen.